Hello and welcome to this Building Blocks episode of Unpacking the Case, where I am joined by Richard Snape, our Head of Legal Training here at DJV, who will be talking me through the background case of Wilden and Burroughs from 1879, which relates to implying easements. Could you tell me a little bit more about the facts of that case, please? Yeah, well, Wilden and Burroughs is well known to anybody who's done uh, degree level land law. It's one of those cases you always get rammed down your throat. Some people don't always realise how significant it is in the world, real world. It's a sort of appellate court case um, from 1879. And uh, shall I tell you the background facts? If you wouldn't mind, that'd be great. It's uh, concerned uh, a piece of land in Derby. There was um, the common ownership of uh, originally of somebody called Mr. Tetley. Uh, and uh, they consisted of a workshop and a neighbouring piece of land. And Mr. Tetley um, basically put the land up in auction. Uh, the two pieces of land separately were bought in auction by different people. The workshop was bought by Mr. Burroughs and the uh, neighbouring piece of land was bought by Mr. Wielden. Um, what subsequently happened is that Mr. Wielden died and his uh, wife inherited, his widow inherited uh, the piece of land. And at a later stage, uh, built on that land. The workshop had three windows, uh, and the light through the windows was being blocked by, by the building work. And so um, Mr. Burroughs uh, took matters into their own hands and um, knocked down the building. Uh, that's the way you did things in the 1870s. Um, but uh, the Mrs. Wielden subsequently brought a, a claim in trespass against Mr. Burroughs, uh, which got to the appellate court and uh, Lord Justice Thesiger uh, heard the decision. And what was the decision? Well, it's sort of, um, we talked about a lot about um, and the history of it all, which I'll bore you with too much, but it's all about non-derogation from grant, which is a principle you see in property law across the board. It's an implied term and a lease that you, the landlord shouldn't derogate from the grant. And uh, in this particular case, they, you know, they pointed out authority as the first sort of authority on it was back in the days of Charles I in 1663, a case uh, called Palmer and Fletcher, which first recognised the concept. And in that particular case, somebody um, transferred a piece of land, uh, again with windows, and then built on the, the land that they'd retained in, in Palmer and Fletcher. They said that that would be a derogation from a, a grant, and it's an encroachment that's actionable. Um, in this particular occasion, uh, although you can't derogate from grant, uh, the strange thing about Wielden and Burroughs is uh, um, Wielden failed on the case because they were claiming, uh, based on reservation, that uh, when the land had been sold, easements had been reserved, and uh, it's only on grants uh, that uh, the principle applies. And so the rule in Wielden and Burroughs didn't apply in the case of Wielden and Burroughs, strangely. Um, and that's the background, and it became sort of uh, standard, as say, way of implying easements just in a grant. One of the alternatives uh, subsequently it was with Section 62 of the Law of Property Act 1925, which uh, has to imply, implies easements on a conveyance. 
um, but only on a conveyance. Uh, Wheels and Burrows applies on exchange of contracts as well, and it's essential uh, that you exclude Wheels and Burrows unless you suddenly want land to be crisscrossed with implied easements, and you have to do so at the moment of exchange of contracts. Okay, Richard, that's really interesting. Could you tell me what factors would be taken into account when applying an easement under yeah, it's quite academic and there's a lot of exceptions to the rule, but uh, Lord Justice Stegger, who, um, who gave the judgment, uh, basically said that uh, you have to have, on a grant, you know, the grantee will be entitled to uh, continuous and apparent easements, by which I mean he's quoting quasi-easements, which are necessary to the reasonable enjoyment of the land. And that sort of summarises it. I say it will apply on exchange of contracts and not just on the uh, transfer or grant, the conveyance. Uh, they have to be continuous and apparent and or necessary to the reasonable enjoyment of the land. Um, and uh, continuous and apparent basically means obvious, like it's a path, it's obvious pathway and the likes. Necessary to the reasonable enjoyment is not the same as being absolutely necessary. Okay, and are there any other examples that you might want to give? Yeah, I was always reminded of a case um, from 1996 called an appeal case, which illustrates some of the issues in Wealdon Burroughs uh, quite nicely, a case called Millman and Ellis, which all took place in rural Herefordshire. Uh, what had happened, you've got a common owner of land, um, you can't have easements over your own land, hence uh, in Wealdon and Burroughs they've been called quasi-easements. Uh, who had a large house, apparently was a local builder. I actually once talked to his solicitor about the sort of background and details of it, the case. Um, and they uh, built another house at the back of their land uh, and sold it on. Uh, and in the contract, it made clear, and in the plans and on the transfer and so on, it made clear that the purchase of the new house could use a part of a driveway. It was a sort of driveway together with a lay-by, all tarmacked over. Uh, you wouldn't be able to see any difference, you know, between the, the driveway and the lay-by, but they didn't mention the lay-by in the plans or in the contract or in the transfer. And at a later stage, the new purchaser of the second house wanted to use the, uh, the lay-by. They were claiming that they didn't have adequate visibility to get onto this country lane unless they could use the lay-by. It seems to have got a bit out of hand after that, and it went all the way to the Court of Appeal. And the Court of Appeal said they've all got all the ingredients of Wealdon and Burroughs. You've got a common owner of land who found it convenient to use this lay-by for visibility and the likes. And unless you say otherwise, the moment you exchange contracts, that quasi-easement becomes an actual easement. And uh, they didn't say otherwise in the moment of exchange of contracts. When, um, they um, assumed, talking to the solicitor involved, that if you give somebody an express right to use a part of a driveway, you can't give them an implied right to use a bigger part of the driveway, including the lay-by. And the Court of Appeal didn't accept that argument. It's essential at the moment of exchange of contracts, you make clear that the only easements are those expressly referred to in the transfer and the draft is annexed. And that's the solution. And I suspect there's quite a few problem areas out there that people don't even know about. Richard, thank you so much. I think that's the perfect place to round this off. And to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us on this Building Blocks episode of Unpacking the Case. 